Uh, Dr. Sebastian, thank you for joining us today. I think it'll be nice if you could just explain to our audience what exactly your technology does. Sure, Sancho. Thanks. It's a, it's a pleasure being on here. So our technology is actually very simple. We enable people to share power among each other in a fairly seamless way. And these people are usually located in rural areas where the grid has not been reached yet. That's great. So how does your customers share power? So our customers, our usual customers have a solar home system, which is a small solar PV unit with a battery and a charge controller and some appliances in Bangladesh. Usually these are appliances on, on direct current on DC. So having this system, what we found is that those people often have so-called access power or dump load, which basically means to put it simple, at 2 p.m. the sun is shining and the battery is full. If we gave them a bigger battery in the more rainy days, the battery would never fully charge and would, put, uh, would probably break pretty soon, which, is, which would be a, a, a huge problem for these, for these people because the battery is usually the most expensive part. So we found, so how can we make this power which gets wasted, how can we make it uh, available to the people? So we said, okay, fine. If we build a platform where the people are interconnected to exchange uh, this electricity, then probably you can make a more efficient allocation of those resources and can actually tap into these unused resources. So you see it's a typical sharing economy approach. And from a user's perspective, it's, it's simple. They have a solar home system, which they chose one day, maybe a year ago, maybe two years ago, maybe only a couple of months ago. But they're somehow constrained with this solar home system. Maybe they chose this system and wanted to have a couple of lights and, and mobile charging. Then they got a baby and they would like to have a fan so that the baby can, can sleep better. But the current solar home system is designed not to, to run a fan. So comes Solche along and says, if you buy our Sol box, which is basically a meter which facilitates this trading, you can buy more power on the go beyond what your own solar home system can facilitate you. And um, I think that's a very, very big value proposition if you have more flexibility. Because on the, on the flip side, whenever you have more power than you need, which also happens uh, uh, sometimes or fairly often as we see in our data, then you can sell this power. So you, everybody becomes a prosumer, a producer and a consumer at the same time. Fantastic. Uh, so let us just understand what this means. I mean, let's say uh, I'm a consumer, I have a solar home system in, in rural Bangladesh, uh, say 150 kilometers from Dhaka, and my system is, let's say, 50 watt uh, panel, correct? And the battery that I have, uh, you know, is sufficient to power uh, three lights and one mobile charger, perhaps a small TV for five hours. Would that be a kind of a typical system that one of your consumers have? That's a likely scenario. That's a likely scenario. And then what might happen is maybe they want to have a bigger TV or maybe they want to have a fan as, as well. Or maybe they want to have an, a sewing machine. We are selling a lot of sewing machines these days or a fridge. Now, all these appliances will not be able to run additionally with your 50 watt peak. And then we come along and say, okay, look, 
if you buy an entire new system, again, you're locked into a 24 months credit sale. And especially it's, it's, uh, to consider is the new system will not work nicely with the old system because you cannot put the two batteries together. So um, building this grid out of individual solar home systems really gives those customers the opportunity to have a much more flexible and I would even say grid-like experience where as we have it in the plug electricity whenever we want it we get it just what is even better for those people for our customers is they can earn money because whenever they sell electricity which they don't use themselves because they don't need it because they may have had a hard month and don't have the money right now or they have more efficient appliances just just bought a more efficient lights uh, you know substituted their cfls for leds this power they can sell and that money actually goes directly on their mobile money wallet. So imagine you are a woman in this 150 kilometer uh, remote area in Bangladesh and you walk to a, to a market to buy your rice at 3 p.m. Um, this could be the situation right now. It's actually quite likely. Um, it is possible that you buy your rice in the market with the money which your panel at home just earned you because um, the sun is shining at full brightness right now here and um, it's likely your battery is full and you're selling this power to someone who doesn't have a solar home system or to someone who needs more power because he runs uh, uh, higher loads like running a fridge in a, in, a, in a marketplace. So that's a likely scenario that you buy your rice which with money which your panel is earning, for, uh, is, is earning you uh, in real time. So this is a great example uh, because um, I'm, I'm just thinking about one of these customers, like uh, the lady you mentioned. So, uh, I mean, the lady perhaps uh, is staying at home and uh, you know, her husband is on a construction site in Singapore because, you know, we know that a lot of Bangladeshis are, are um, working in, in, uh, in other parts of the world. And so, and, and maybe the lady's ch child has grown up and, uh, you know, it goes to school. So in the afternoon, when the uh, sun is shining bright, she does not need so much power because there is nobody at home, right? So, so she sells this power perhaps to uh, a local, uh, I mean, a, as you described, a local shop, which, which is open in the afternoon and has a small fridge, which, um, you know, stores some cold drinks or something, or perhaps she sells it to a neighbor, uh, who um, you know? Who probably have smaller children in their house, and they need the fan, need the extra electricity to run the fan and keep them cool. Is that the type of real-life scenarios that we are talking about, Sanjay? That's that's exactly right. I think we should hire you as our new marketing executive. No, that's. A, I think that was a beautiful description. And and let me just add two things to it. it this woman could also potentially sell this power to a rickshaw. So what we're doing right now, and we have the first, the first rickshaws running, is the rickshaws in Bangladesh in rural areas often run on batteries. So there are e-vehicles e or, or EV vehicles, uh, as you want to say, and there are one million of them. The problem is they are running in the rural areas where the national grid hasn't reached. So the, the way the rickshaws are charged right now is in the night, they are all going to the next grid point and they have to sleep on their rickshaw and where it's being charged. What we are offering them now is that in the, uh, in, at lunchtime or in the afternoon when they, when they go through our villages where we have our grids, that while they're having their tea or having their lunch, they park their rickshaw 
and it is being charged as a kind of as a pit stop, like in the in the Formula Formula One for maybe half an hour, maybe an hour. Um, but this will allow them in the evening to provide their uh, their ride services for an additional hour, which for them is a lot of additional income. So for our lady, she has an optimal load at 2 p.m. where she can sell to, which is this rickshaw, which happens all automatically through, through a mobile money uh, uh, account settlement. So nothing needs to be needs to be negotiated. It happens. It's like riding riding Ola or Uber or, or Grab taxi. Everything happens by itself, the same way it works for our systems. And the uh, rickshaw driver is also really happy because he is making an, an, an extra hour revenue in the evening. So this is also a likely scenario. And maybe a second thing which we are developing right now, because you were mentioning the remittances from workers in, in Singapore or building you know, the, the World Cup stadiums in Qatar, is what we would like to achieve is that we can send money directly on the meters of our customers. So that when remittances are sent, that they are no longer sent through, you know, um, these, these uh, bank transfers, which, which cost a lot of money and take a long time, but that we can actually send them directly on our meter. We would like to do this via a blockchain-based uh, uh, token approach. Um, we are quite far in programming that, but we have a little bit of a regulatory issue here in Bangladesh that cryptocurrency is not allowed, but we're working on it. And uh, this, I think this is kind of the future to, to send money like that, because that's much more transparent, much more efficient. And um, the people who send the money, may it be family members, but it could also be ODA, development aid organizations. They can actually track how the money is being used. Is it used for light? Is it used for TV? Is it used for uh, mobile charging? Is it used for charging a rickshaw? Whatever it is. So that can become extremely interesting also for, for official development aid institutions because they can send money in a very transparent, in a very efficient way, and they can fully monitor what's happening. And there's basically zero loss somewhere in, you know, in, in translation or in banking fees or in, in, in uh, uh, hiring some consultants to, to check whether this money has been used for the right purpose. All of this will be gone. Fantastic. So you brought about several points, which is uh, in including direct remittances of aid money to recipients, the usage of, uh, of uh, remittance money for, uh, for energy and development. But I think one of the things that you did uh, bring about, which I think is extremely interesting, is the fact that because you spread out uh, the use of e-rickshaws, and it's wonderful to know that, you know, uh, that uh, the rickshaw industry in the rickshaw mode of transport in Bangladesh, the ubiquitous rickshaw mode of transport in Bangladesh, Bangladesh is going electric, you know, going uh, e-vehicle route. You're also taking away the surge, surge on the grid that happens when all uh, e-rickshaws are, you know, put on the grid at night. So because, you know, they are, they can be theoretically charged at various points of the time in the day when people stop for lunch or tea or, 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 or evening snack, you know, you spread out that load and, and take the pressure off the grid. And I think that's, a, that's an important issue in, in the entire EV discussion across the world. Definitely, definitely. It is, yeah. Tell our audience what was so unique about Bangladesh that it almost meant that you had to start this business here. That's right, yeah. I had to, I had to, not almost, I fully had to. 
So I think we are in the best place we could possibly be for, you know, making this peer-to-peer -peer solar sharing grids. Uh, I think there is no better place than Bangladesh. And, and there's a few reasons for that. Bangladesh has definitely excelled in the dissemination of these solar home systems. If we think about it, they have 5 million of those solar home systems installed in their rural areas. That's 25 million people. This is a medium-sized European country's population um, that have solar as their primary energy source. And I think this is uh, definitely a first in the world and that is a hugely impressive achievement. And if we think about it, what, what we found out when, when we came here, and I came here in the first place as a researcher, um, we found that about 30% of the power produced by of, the, of these solar home systems goes unused because it's excess power. That translates into about 600,000 kilowatt hours every day of excess power. That's driving a Tesla Model S 100 times around the globe. That much power is just dumped every day in Bangladesh. So, and if we think about what a kilowatt hour is worth in these areas, I mean, what do the people spend uh, on, on, on a per kilowatt hour basis? That we, we're talking about $5, $6, per kilowatt hour and 600,000 kilowatt hours uh, as access load. That's a huge market we have here every day. And I think that was more than more the motivation I needed to, to, to come here and, and start Solshare. Right. And uh, 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 you know, for our audience, it will be useful to understand how this uh, large penetration of solar home systems happened in Bangladesh and how you rode on top of that. So who are your initial partners, for example? So I think it's an, it's an excellent example where uh, development aid uh, was carried out in a, in a very effective and efficient way. Um, for starters, there is ITCOL, which is the Infrastructure Development Company Limited, which is fully government-owned by the government of Bangladesh, that took it upon it to organize the solar home system program. And when I say organizing, I mean they act in, in two ways. First of all, all funding goes into ITCOL, and then from ITCOL is distributed to their so-called partner organizations. Among these partner organizations are organizations such as Gramin Shakti, which is, uh, uh, which is known as, uh, uh, as from the Gramin family, from Gramin Bank, from uh, uh, Professor Muhammad Yunus, the Nobel Prize winner uh, of 2006. Um, so Gramin Shakti single-handedly installed almost two million solar home systems. Um, and it called second function is quality assurance. And um, that is, I think, one of the key success factors where the Technical Standards Committee of ITCOL very early on decided to use um, industrial standard batteries um, in the early 2000s, which was a decision which uh, raised a lot of eyebrows in the sector, in the development sector, because then the conviction was for poor people, we need cheap products and cheap products means inexpensive and industrial batteries was not definitely not something on the list you would equip a solar home system with. Um, but what we found out later is the battery is really the Achilles heel of such a system, especially if it is microfinanced. 
because if the battery breaks before the loan uh, uh, tenure is over, there is a lot of trouble um, facing the consumer, facing the techno technology provider, and also tech, uh, facing, of course, the the, um, the institution who gives who provides the, the microcredit. So taking this high quality batteries, which come with a five year warranty, I think was one of the key success factors of the Bangladeshi solar home system. Because we even find today in our grids, we have batteries which are eight years old or nine years old and they're still running. They're not very good anymore, but we're talking eight, nine years for a, uh, uh, for a lead acid battery, which is quite impressive. So there were certain organizations um, most prominent among them probably Rahima Fruz, who supplied those batteries at very high quality and then also very quickly at very high volumes, which was a real business. And before, the, before that, they were only in the automotive industry for, for batteries, but developed a solar battery for the Bangladeshi market. So we have high quality standards. We have very good refinancing opportunities because all the funders gave the money into ITCOL, who then passed on as loans to the partner organization. And... Um, I think these were these were, were key requirements, and and thirdly, we had a homegrown ecosystem, which means charge controllers, batteries, even panels. Raima uh, Kumis has a has a PV factory. Everything was built here in Bangladesh, um, which means also the people had the expertise to fix things, and uh, the after sales really worked well, given that the outstanding credit was was always money was always every month collected by people who also understood how the system works. So they would not only collect the money, but they would also be able to fix the system. Fantastic. So uh, I think we understand why you entered Bangladesh, but uh, what would be interesting for us also to understand uh, who were your initial partners? You know, how did you, uh, what are the pilots that you ran? What, how did you learn? What are the lessons that you learned from the pilots? Uh, in, and how did you establish your first service? service? Mm -hmm. So very early on, our, one of our first partners was Rahima Fruz, where we did a pilot with a pay-as-you-go uh, technology, which we brought with us from uh, Europe. And we tested it because we found it interesting that in East Africa, uh, the growth of pay-as-you-go was, was back then already quite rampant, whereas in Bangladesh, the postpaid microcredit model was still dominating and going well, but at least we wanted to test it. And we very quickly found out uh, that one of the success factors I just mentioned is that everything is produced, sourced locally, and, and also designed locally, is one of the key factors. And we found out that the European technology we had was not really fit for the purpose here. Uh, the price point wasn't right, um, it was uh, over-designed, so it didn't, really, it didn't really work out well. It was good for testing how mobile money payments would work here and um, what's the acceptance, the user acceptance, but we, we knew pretty quickly that this technology will not take off here. So that was basically our first experience in the market, our first dip in the market, and, and later so we developed our own pay-as-you-go device, and of course we also developed our our first Solbox, which is the smart meter where you can exchange electricity. And there we had our first pilot together with an organization called Ubomus. And um, together with Ubomus, we built the first peer-to-peer -peer solar grid in the world. That was in September 2015. A couple of months later, a solar peer-to-peer -peer grid was, was launched and inaugurated in Brooklyn, New York. 
So you can imagine how proud we were all here that the first smart peer-to-peer -peer grid was actually launched in Bangladesh um, in a remote area, which is called Shariatpur, which is a Chaw, uh, and it's actually not a Chaw island, but which, which is a fairly remote area um, in, the, in, the, in the south of, 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 of Dhaka. Um, so that was, that was big headlines for us, and, and that was a big, big gratification for the entire team here, that we managed to be a pioneer here of what nowadays we call the fourth industrial revolution. Fantastic. And so tell us about, uh, you mentioned this company called Ubermoss, right? Uh, 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 could you tell us a little bit about Ubermoss? So Ubermoss is interesting that it is one of the oldest partner organizations in Bangladesh. So there were, um, Brahmin Shakti started operations in 1996 and Ubermoss started around the same time, maybe, maybe just shortly after. So they have been uh, a very experienced partner. Um, what is also interesting about them, so, is that they have always been driven by women groups um, and have chosen to grow at a slower rate, but to be present uh, only in certain areas and they have a strong focus on women. And the leader of Ubomo's, uh, um, Asma, Asma Hawk, I met her the year before in, at a conference in Berkeley. And she, when I presented what I want to do, she said, come to Bangladesh, meet my organization, meet Nasir, who is, who's, who's, who's running Obomus under her, and we'll do it. And so that's what I did. So these are the kind of instances where, you know, these kind of scientific conferences actually have a really, really good outcome because I, I, I happened to meet her there. And um, I actually met her at sister, Hasna, there. Uh, who's, who's based out of, out, of, out of California, and Asma is here in Dhaka. So she said, just come and see my sister and Nasi, and, and, and they will help you, they will do it. And that's what we did. And with this grid, notably, we received um, a lot of accolades. Like, we received the, the, the UN, uh, UN Award um, uh, for, uh, from, from UNFCCC in, at, the, at the COP in, in, in Marrakesh. Um, and we also received the Intersolar Award for this. So that was well, the big thing, that we were the first here in Bangladesh to set up such a grid. Fantastic. So actually that brings me to one question that I did want to ask you. Uh, I mean, I know you brought up the Berkeley uh, connection and, uh, uh, and you're, uh, you know, we all know you did your PhD in Berkeley. Uh, yeah. No, it's obviously not easy for a, for a German uh, to come and work in Bangladesh. You are obviously there now. You can call that home. Um, you know, just on a personal level, you know, what did you do to overcome the cultural and other barriers? Well, I would almost say I, 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 I got married to a, to a Bangladeshi, which, which of course helped a lot in learning the, learning the cultures. But of course, that was not the, 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 the primary objective behind it. No, it takes time. It takes time, and um, you know when I meet meet my, my, my best contacts here from from Rahima Fruz, from Gramin Shakti, and so forth. You know, and today they all tell me, you know, in the beginning when you came, you were just another foreigner who came, you know, to to talk to us, to learn from us, and then eventually to go again. But um, you know, sticking around is a strong sign for a sincere interest to set something up here to create something you know to found a company here 
and um, which is which is 90% Bangladeshi, um, and you know have this indigenous homegrown innovation, and um, they look at me in a different way nowadays. And uh, but it wasn't always like that. So it took a lot of time, a lot of patience, and you know sticking through. Fantastic. And uh, about the team that you have developed in Bangladesh, I know you have uh, local people, but you also have Germans working. Uh, working. Tell us a little bit about how that that uh, you know played out. That uh, played out differently, to be frank. So we had in the beginning we had more Germans who worked out of Berlin, and at some point we decided that this is not the way to go. That the disconnect is actually quite big. Um, where we said, okay, everybody who works for Solskjaer has to live in Dhaka. Um, we have a few notable exceptions, but these are really, uh, really rare. But by and large, nowadays, you have to show your commitment to Bangladesh, which means you have to live here. Um, we go there a little bit of a different way than other companies in our sector who have their headquarters in San Francisco, Berlin, London. But we believe that we can give the people a better service at a lower cost if we are all here in Dhaka. Fantastic. And obviously with that type of presence in, in, in Dhaka, Bangladesh, you have made uh, you know, uh, progress in terms of market penetration in Bangladesh. Tell us a little bit about the number of customers you have, uh, you know, your market you know, of the 20 odd solar home systems that exist in Bangladesh. How many people mm -hmm. you, uh, trade using your systems? Where are yeah. they and so on and so forth? Sure. So we we sold about uh, 3,000 um, pay-as-you-go devices for solar home systems and another 1,500 pay-as-you-go appliances. Um, and we have also um, 12 grids up and running, uh, which are spread all over the country. Uh, part of them we set up by our own in a business-to-customer fashion. But by now we uh, uh, progressed or transitioned to a business-to-business -business model where we work with um, organizations like Rahima Fruz, Grameen Shakti, Ubomos, uh, Bright Green Energy Foundation, and set our grids up together with them. Um, we just received the UN um, Powering the Future We Want, the energy grant of 1 million US dollars together with Grameen Shakti, and um, where we will set another 100 grids in the next 18 months. So this work is undergoing. We have already the next six grids coming uh, in the next months together with, with Grammy Shakti and then uh, scaling up, scaling it up much faster. Um, since 2015, when we installed our first grid, we have focused more on robustness of technology than of uh, growing fast because it's quite disruptive technology. So we wanted to make sure we get everything right um, to give the user the best experience possible. And that was a focus, but I think uh, latest now with the UN grant and with the Ramin Shakti and Rahima Fus partnerships, where you know there's a customer base of three million solar home systems which are waiting to be interconnected. Um, latest now we have to switch gears and go into, into the scale-up phase. Right. So the way it works, just so uh, I understand, your these are all you're referring to and. You, know, you referred to this earlier on in the conversation. These are all ITCOL partner organizations. So, so uh, you know, the World Bank and KFW and, you know, all the donors funded ITCOL and, the, the, and, uh, and ITCOL funded these, 
you know, 40 odd partner organizations, the biggest of them, uh, Gramin Shakti uh, and Rahima Fruz and so on and so forth. And they set up solar home systems. So what you do is you get into a, in an area where there's a high concentration of solar home systems. And then you set up a grid and that grid allows people, uh, like the way we described earlier, people who do not necessarily need all that electricity to sell it to our, our, you know, individuals or businesses uh, which need that electricity. Is, you know, is that the way it works? That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Sancho. And maybe just to add to it, the solar home system program in Bangladesh is under a lot of stress, which means there are hardly any more systems being sold through this microcredit mechanism. Um, there are a number of reasons. I think that would uh, be an own podcast to discuss this. What are the reasons for that? But there are a couple. Uh, among them is also some, some government doll-out programs. But we don't need to go into the details of it. What is important to us is there is this space of millions of solar home systems, and there are these 40-plus um, uh, partner organizations who today need to leverage on what they have. And I couldn't think of any better way than Solskjaer to do that because building a platform out of these uh, appliances means that you can, out of these, sorry, solar home systems means that you can now start to leverage this customer base and start more, start selling more appliances, you know, uh, exchange batteries because we have always remote monitoring in there that we know uh, what is happening exactly on the on the technology? So, um, given that the solar home system sales have gone down, um, it's the right moment for us to come in because we can give new purpose to those field uh, sales forces of these partner organizations by interconnecting those systems, building grids out of them, and put them all on a platform where upselling and cross-selling um, becomes the the new business model. Right. And yeah, and I think many of us who working in this field are familiar with, with the problems, the, uh, the sort of, shall I use the word, traditional uh, solar home system uh, program are facing in Bangladesh. Uh, and to many of us, and I think that's the most interesting thing, Sebastian, and the most interesting thing I feel so strongly about your company is, is that, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know. Somebody says necessity is the mother of all invention, right? And uh, and you have created an innovation based on a problem the industry was facing, uh, and that allows the industry I and mean, the industry partners to have a fresh lease of life and invest more in uh, you know in giving services uh, to in continuing the services to rural Bangladesh. Excellently put. I, I, I don't want to add anything to that. That's great. Yeah. Thank you. So the, um, the I think, you know, moving away from Bangladesh, you know, you, you're now in, you know, entering India. Uh, tell us a little bit about your plans in India, your partner, and what you see in India. So India is a huge market for us. Um, we know players there. We have signed uh, uh, MOUs together with uh, Selco, the Selco Foundation, as well as the Selco Network, and also with uh, Signy, um, uh, whom we also visited. We visited Selco a couple of times now. We visited installations in Assam uh, from, from Signy and found that their system actually fits really well uh, with, with our vision of how solar home systems, systems should work, meaning they have remote monitoring. They are on 48 volt DC, which is really nice for us. And Signy itself promotes uh, very efficient uh, appliances, 
which seems to be a very good fit to what we want to do. So we are right now in a phase where we want to integrate with them and where we are planning to set the first grid together in Assam very, very, very soon. Um, the same uh, uh, collaborations are going on with, 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 with Selco, with, with Harish Hande in, uh, out of Bangalore. So that's, that's all happening and we are in touch with the GIZ office in India to, to hopefully support us. So these are things which are happening, but we're still on the lookout basically for, there is some risk for us, of course, to come to India. And we would like to buffer this risk with, uh, with a grant. We are collecting, we are, we're in the, uh, in the process of, of collecting money for our A series, pretty, pretty advanced by now. But uh, for, this, for this India entry, we are still looking for, for some support. Fantastic. And um, uh, so what is your, you know, with this support, what would be your first milestone that you would, you would seek in India? So what we, what we found is that, especially in this program in Assam, what Signi is installing is 200 watt peak systems, which are promoted through the, through the government, government scheme. So there's a lot of access capacity. So as a first step right now, what we want to make sure is we're just sourcing a couple of signal system here to Dhaka to make sure that our technologies work well together. So that's our first milestone. Um, based on that, we then will go to the field and we'll install the first grid to see what's the user acceptance, how it is working. Um, the biggest concern I have is I don't like money in the field. So I want to avoid having money in the field by all means. But then again, the mobile money infrastructure in India, especially in the rural areas, does not seem to be too developed uh, as of now. So we have to find some smart ways how to, how, how to handle that. Um, that is very high on the agenda. We're also looking in collaboration with Rahima Fruz together to promote uh, pay-as-you-go based uh, solar home system. So without the trading, just a pay-as-you-go solar home system. Where is, uh, of course, there's also a massive market in India for that. But we also know that a lot of people also failed trying to do that so far, which is possibly because the mobile money market is not very well developed. But so we're, what we're looking at is that this year we will uh, definitely have our first results in terms of we want to have about 500 pay-as-you-go solar home systems in the field. We want to have a couple of grids in the field, probably in Assam. To, to learn uh, to learn the lessons there, and then start the expansion starting in, in 2019. And the grand vision is um, to impact a million lives in India by, by 2020. Fantastic, uh, fantastic. Now I, I know that uh, the, you have. Um, uh, I, I mean, it would be it would help our uh, our audience to understand that, you know, how much, I mean, without giving any away confidential figures, how much money you have raised so far, because what I understand is, and I said this to you earlier, I thought that you just have raised, you know, about 600K in, in R&D investment. Now, if that's true, then this is really frugal innovation, right? Mm -hmm. And this would be very useful for our audience to understand, you know, how you brought, how you did all that you had to do with, uh, by keeping development costs down. It's, it's, uh, it's largely right. I mean, we raised about a half a million in convertible notes and we, we received a couple of grants. Uh, it's probably a little bit more than 600, 600K, but not, it's not much. 
I mean, one answer to it is we're developing the things here in Dhaka, which is, I think, is a massive difference than if we were to do it in, in you know, in, in Silicon Valley or in, in, in London, Berlin. So our, our overhead is, of course, much, much lower. And um, I'm also, and the, the, the brains behind our latest metering technology are from, from the engineers we hire here. So, of course, we have mentors who, who guide our, our, our staff here also. Um, but uh, it's, really, it's really ground up indigenous innovation. So I think that's a, that's a big factor. Now, of course, the million dollars we now got from the UN or we are about to receive is, is a huge thing for us because that will give us some breathing space there. Um, and uh, the ACS we are raising right now is about uh, uh, 1.5 to $2 million. Um, that will be equity and, and, and uh, a small part of it will be debt. Um, and there we are quite advanced, but you know, you never know what happens until, until everything is signed. But uh, so far it's looking good. And um, without being able to give away more, it's going to be big because the, uh, uh, the organizations who are going to invest in us that will, that will put energy access, I think, in a different light. It will put it more into the light that what we believe is that the way we trade electricity peer-to-peer -peer in Bangladesh may very well be the future of utilities globally. Because if we look at it, uh, electricity prices, generation prices are going down. Let's assume it goes like SMS costs. And when you have WhatsApp, then you don't pay for it anymore. So free electrons, electricity may be free in the future. That means the whole game for the utilities will be about how to move energy. And I think um, we know how to move energy. We are learning very fast and in very big numbers how to trade solar peer to peer. And um, that has not been unnoticed. Let's put it like that. Right. So you bring up a couple of points. So I, I, and I like to slow down and make sure that we absorb both, uh, both these points because I think they are important. So number one point that you, uh, you bring up is that, uh, you know, your R&D uh, um, development, uh, you know, uh, I, I said the number 600K, it's near that, uh, definitely less than a million. Uh, and, you know, the million dollars that you got from the UN grant is largely going towards deployment. I mean, I, I suppose some of it may go in for uh, testing and piloting, but it's largely going for deployment of grids. That's right. Uh, and it's together with Grameen Shakti. So it's not, it's a partnership. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I just want us to absorb this. I want you know, our audience to absorb this. And the reason I think you bring up uh, the point of uh, this being the uh, you know, sharing of electrons being the way uh, utilities go in the future is, is that, you know, this, you know, you built it out on solar home systems, right? But obviously, uh, you know, this, I mean, I mean, this at a conceptual level, then this can go over any solar roof, right? So, you know, the, the millions of solar roofs that you have uh, uh, in any country, including your own country, Germany, I mean, technically speaking, uh, speaking, uh, the peer-to-peer -peer share, sharing can work in that sector as well. That's what we believe, definitely, yeah. I think from the algorithms um, and the machine learning, how the boxes learn how to trade electricity, um, it doesn't really matter whether it's a Bangladeshi rural household or whether it's a family house in, in Berlin. I don't, I, I don't believe there's much of a difference. And uh, if there's a, a huge user difference, user behavior difference, which is likely, 
that can be you know that can be reflected in the in the in the learning algorithm so i think um there is a lot of scope for south to north transfer here fantastic i think we are at the end of it and perhaps it'll be nice uh, Sebastian, to tell us a story tell us a story about you know a, a customer uh, you know, a shopkeeper or 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 a or a, or a student, who, you know, whose life really got impacted uh, by by your uh, technology. I think a nice story which taught me a lot was a visit in a village where we visited um, a young woman who we were interviewing as an, for an impact story actually, but she told us something nobody would have ever expected. So we gave the interview and basically she, uh, she gave the interview and basically had already concluded. And then she said, when we, while we were going, she said, hang on, do you actually know that your, your meter is wrong? And we said, no, but please, please tell us. She said, well, you know, you're showing me always the money I have on the meter, which I really like because that means I know, you know, how much money I have, but I also have money in my battery and I know that this money is not shown on my meter. So this was really a really interesting insight because I'm, when I was a student, I read a book which is called Portfolios of the Poor, where Stuart Rutherford, the author and uh, uh, among others, wrote these financial diaries of the poor people, how they manage their finances and, and compared it with investment bankers in, 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 at, at uh, at Wall Street and said, you know, they, they have a loan from this loan shark, from this microcredit institution, then from this cousin, then they give money there, they have a little bit of savings under the, under the pillow, and they have like 10, 12 financial mechanisms running simultaneously at the same time. And what the woman said reminded me a lot of that, because where is she coming from? She's coming from an asset approach, which means if she has to liquidate, liquidate all assets from one day to the other, that means she wants to know how much she has, how much does she have under the cushion, how much she has loaned there and there, but also how much money does she have in her battery, which means how many ampere hours are in her battery, which she could with a push of the button sell to the grid and get this money credited. So basically what she asked us to is she does not only want to see her current balance, she also would like to see her potential balance if she were to sell all the ampere hours which are stored in her battery. And um, I think that's, that's, that's amazing because none of, nobody of us would have ever thought about that, but it makes sense. And it underlines is that some of our customers look at the salt box at our meter kind of as, a, as an energy bank. And uh, it, it tells so many stories how the future will look like. Right, I, I think this is uh, fantastic. Thank you, Dr. Sebastian. Thank you very much for talking to us. I wish you the very best. Thank you, Sanjoy. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure.